of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. And welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Great to be here today as we uh, think about and discuss issues related to worship, theology, and culture. Today is a theological issue and um, quite a controversial one at that. And so hopefully I can do this justice. Uh, that is my hope and aim in this. And not that that it discourages uh, but that it uh, edifies the church and helps the church, and hopefully we can understand this better together. I am one that will openly and fully admit that uh, in our humanity, even the brightest people um, are wrong about certain things. I've known very brilliant people. I don't include myself in that group, by the way, uh, but I've known some very brilliant people who have later admitted, hey, I was wrong about this. I was wrong about this thought or this teaching. And and so the only way that we come to those conclusions is we think through these matters and discuss them together. Um, so uh, let me dive in. I want to get into an issue that I've thought long about and um, and have some opinions on. And so uh, that is the meaning of foreknowledge in Scripture. This is one of the most polarizing topics in Christian theology, that of election, foreknowledge, and predestination. Um, and having wrestled with this important but difficult doctrine, uh, specifically the doctrine of sovereign grace, I wrestled with this in my early 20s, and it was a very um, difficult time, but a good time um, at the same time. So uh, it, it was difficult because this was not what I was taught. Um but I've made several con conclusions on the matter, specifically of foreknowledge, um, since then. Uh, but but I do still remain open to other perspectives, and I enjoy hearing other people's perspectives. But nothing has convinced me more than what Scripture says plainly and clearly, in my opinion. As much justifying as I did to prove a friend wrong about election. It proved futile, except that it brought me to a place of acknowledgement and belief in election. And after approximately six months of anger and not knowing how to handle the fact that the God whom I was taught growing up was not the God I was seeing in the Bible, I finally rested in and trusted the Lord that he is sovereign, that I'm responsible, and that the two are still compatible. Um, one of the primary justifications I used during that time, and to this day hear others use, is a feeble explanation of foreknowledge. And it just does not do justice. I could not deny that predestination and foreknowledge is biblical. It is there, plainly. And anyone who says it is not, uh, they need to read the Bible again, because it absolutely is. Um, the question is the interpretation of predestination and foreknowledge. Scripture is also replete with the concept in both the Old and the New Testament of foreknowledge, of election. Um, so what I did was misrepresent form, foreknowledge, and that's what many do today. Um, I, I, in my feeble arguments, uh, 
Um, I tried to give a definition of foreknowledge that was not true because in my mind and in others still, it made sense. It made sense in my mind and it justified where I already stood. It justified my preconceived notions. But part of the problem is that we often look for what makes sense to us when we should merely trust what God has already said. And realistically, what he has already said makes sense as well. (laughs) So my aim here is to define foreknowledge in a biblical manner, which is only one manifestation of a manifold doctrine. When you talk about foreknowledge, that is only one small part of the doctrine of sovereign grace. But I believe that a greater understanding of foreknowledge uh, will yield a greater understanding of sovereign grace. So let's dive in. Before stating what foreknowledge is, that's going to be the last thing I do. I want to give and state a few things of what it is not. And so my thoughts here are derived from arguments I used to make and arguments many now continue to make. So Um, Soon I will discuss the linguistic evidence for foreknowledge fundamentally. Um, But however, I I want to begin by discussing the antithesis of the word. So what it is not. Um, First, foreknowledge is not merely knowing the future. And that is what I used to argue. That is what many people still argue. That, in fact, is not foreknowing but foretelling. The problem with this view is that it assumes God foreseeing his people's salvation based upon their own work rather than his. This is one reason I use the term receive Christ instead of accept Christ. And there are those that would say that's the same thing, but it absolutely is not. Accept implies some action on your part. It implies that you did something to be saved. You made a choice and that is what saved you. Is that not a work? How is that not a work? If you did something and the result is salvation, that absolutely is a work. Received Christ. When I say someone received Christ, that means God in his sovereignty, in his power, opened their hearts and their eyes and their minds to him. It was him doing the work. That is why I use the word the term receive instead of accept. And so the problem with seeing foreknowledge as foretelling, as knowing the future, is that it assumes that people are saved based on something they did. Certainly God knows the future. The reason, however, is because he designs and controls the future. It's not just that he knows it, but he's in charge of it. And so to the human mind, this is illogical because we are sovereign. And I'll discuss the meaning and the concept of sovereignty later. This is illogical to us because we are sovereign beings ourselves. We're perfectly capable of making our own decisions. Why would someone need to do something for us? And in some ways, that's why it's so offensive to people. That is why we think at least um, that a God who controls everything, every single action... That's not logical, even though all things were created by God and exist through him and for him, according to Romans eleven thirty six, 36. <laughs> Scripture even tells us that. But to us, um, why would God 
control every single thing. He doesn't need to do that. We're perfectly capable of doing that. And if we think in such a way, it not only confuses us, but it may even anger us that someone else would dare control everything. Because surely we're left with something something to control, right? As, as, as the common question goes, does that mean that we are essentially robots? I've been asked that before. Well, what you're saying is we're robots. We have no choice in the matter. My response is that we're not robots. It's actually worse. In fact, the Apostle Paul refers to us as clay in Romans 9.21. It may sound like an overreach to say that God controls everything, including every roll of the dice in Las Vegas, but that's exactly what the Bible says. Beyond that, God does not only control everything, but everything is held together by him, as the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1. And so we either believe in God's complete sovereignty or we hold to a self-gratifying idea that we're less left with some control. And if God is completely sovereign, foreknowledge then is not merely knowing the, fit, uh, the, the future. It is beyond that. So secondly something that foreknowledge is not. Foreknowledge is not mental knowledge. To start the support for this statement, what I mean here that foreknowledge is not mental knowledge, I want to give you some scriptures that use the word know or knew, some version of that. And listen to these carefully. So first, Genesis 4, 1. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. Okay, second, Proverbs 12.10, the righteous know the needs of their animals. Third, Jeremiah 22.15-16, do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. So it's apparent that the word know is used in varying contexts. When Paul says that for those God foreknew, he also predestined, the Greek word here is prognosko. And it's a word that is a combination of the prefix Pro, meaning beforehand or prior to, and gnosko, meaning know or knowledge or some form of that. So prognosko is actually where our English word uh, prognosis comes from. The word could still seemingly mean mental knowledge until we realize that Jesus also uses gnosko in Matthew 7, when he says that to some he will say, I never knew you, depart from me, in Matthew seven twenty three, Well, surely God knows who they are mentally. I mean, God knows who they are. He knows everything. That's not what he's talking about. He's not referring to mental knowledge of them. It must be something other than mental knowledge. For the same word in Matthew here, in Matthew 7, it refers to a relationship. And so Jesus is not saying that he has no recollection of them. <laughs> the eternal God, of course he knows who they are. But 
what he's saying is that he had no relationship with them. Foreknowledge, as Paul uses it then, is not mental knowledge. It's more than that. Thirdly, foreknowledge is not out of control. The suggestion that God's foreknowledge is the equivalent of a prior seeing or knowing who will choose him, which by the way, we do choose God or reject him. And I could get into that, but I will briefly say that there is a difference in free will and choice. Our natural choice is always sin. When our eyes are enlightened, when our heart is enlightened by the Holy Spirit, then our choice is God. And so, yes, we choose. Um, But free will, you do not see that word, you do not see that term, you do not even see that concept in the Bible. And so the suggestion that God just seeing or knowing who will choose him implies a lack of control or sovereignty. But from the scriptures, we know that God is supremely in control. Not only the previously given examples of God as a potter and the fact that all things are from him, through him, and to him, but the Bible is replete with references to his authority and control over every single detail. The idea that someone else controls humanity could be offensive to some people, but we're told that the in Proverbs 16:1 that the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So how can it be that we are not in control of something like our own tongue? This speaks highly toward the supreme reign of God. Sovereignty, as we would consider it, is disparate from the biblical sovereignty. In other words, the sovereignty of God. The United States of America is a sovereign country, makes its own decisions. Uh, The United States of America, however, does not control every single act that occurs on even its own land. In that, there are surely people who do not do what what, what the United States wants, including breaking the law. Um, but God does not just allow things to happen as some people would suggest. Oh, he just allows it to happen. Um, he also controls people and the motives by which we make our own choices. Paul tells us that those whom he predestined, he also called Romans eight thirty, and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, Hear me on this. All who God calls to salvation are saved, period. That's plain as day in the scripture. Those whom he called, he justified. If they are called, they are justified, period. End of story. And so the implication is that while humankind is held responsible and either chooses or rejects Jesus Christ, God controls the motives by which we make that choice. Our natural choice is always sin. That's our natural state. But for those who belong to the Lord, the effect of his call is always salvation. That's why some people prefer to say effectual call instead of irresistible grace. It's really the same idea. But the effect of God's call is his grace, his salvation. The word sovereign is used sparingly in scripture, and it holds various meanings when it's employed. In Acts 4.24 and Revelation 6.10, the term means um, a a possessor, someone uh, who possesses. In 1 Timothy 6.15, however, 
Our English translations say sovereign or use that word, but the word is rendered um, as it refers to a king or someone who makes decrees. In either case, the idea is that God is the one in control. And moreover, from the scriptures already mentioned, we can and should assume that God is not only in control by allowing acts to, to occur, he also controls those acts. So how could a loving God be in control of such a terrible world? Let's admit it. We live in a terrible world. Sickness, sin, evil, it runs rampantly. This we can't answer with certainty. We can, however, know that he is in control and that something better is coming for those who love him. Listen, this is not the end. Yeah, we live in an evil world. We live in a terrible world. This is not the end. And thank God it's not. Uh, That would be quite discouraging to me. When we speak of foreknowledge, we shouldn't dethrone God by feebly thinking that he is out of control, that he's not in control of everything. He just allows things to happen. Because he still sits on the throne and he leads in his sovereignty. And I'll be the first to admit that there are uh, the views of sovereignty. There are differing levels. Um, There are those who say, yes, God is sovereign. But just because I don't believe that he's not in control of everything, that doesn't mean I don't believe in his sovereignty. And I would disagree. Uh, in, In a biblical sense, you make decrees. Uh, God is in control, and if all things are from him, through him, and to him, you either believe that or you don't. And we could get into some philosophical discussions of, well, where does that leave sin? Is God in control of that? Uh, Yes, I will say that. Um, I'm not going to get into, did he create sin? We can get into that another time. Um, I do not believe he created it, and I can go into why. Um, I will briefly just state that sin, I don't believe, is something that is created, Uh, Sin is the absence of righteousness. God is completely righteous, therefore he is not sinful. So sin is just the absence of righteousness, the absence of God. And uh, so it's not something that's created, it's just an opposite. Um, We could get into that another time, but uh, uh, suffice it to say that um, God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. So I've given you some things that I I, I will uh, attest and say that... um, for what foreknowledge is not, but let me tell you what it is. And here's my conclusion. Foreknowledge is for loving. Now that I've covered what foreknowledge is not, let me tell you why I think foreknowledge is for loving. So relating foreknowledge to a mere mental knowledge or foretelling the future is incorrect. We can and should say that God knows the future, but the reason he knows the future is because he ordains it. John Piper has suggested that foreknew would be more correctly rendered for loved. And to be clear, this in no way suggests that God does not love everyone, but rather that he has a relationship with those who are his, in other words, his church. It could be offensive to some that God predestined some for salvation, but we really shouldn't be angry about, about who God does and does not elect, but we should rejoice in the fact that he elects anyone at all. The question shouldn't be, why, should he, why would he choose some and not others? The question should be, why anyone at all? We look at it from the wrong perspective so often. Why would he elect anyone at all? And you could say it's unfair if you want, but uh, Paul gives a, a great argument and justification for that in Romans 9, if you want to read it. Beyond that, 
we don't know the mind of God, and thus we don't know why he employs salvation in the manner he does, except that everything he does serves his own uh, glory, his own satisfaction. So foreknowledge is relational. It's not mental knowledge or foretelling. To say that God foreknew is to say that he foreloved. In Romans, when, when Paul says that those God foreknew, he also predestined. He's not talking about looking into the future and seeing who would, quote, accept him. That's not it. Yes, those, there are those that will choose him, but that's because God ordained it. And it's not just that he looked and saw who would, who would do it, and he just knew it already. That's not it. He completely was in control of that and made it happen. So giving linguistic and biblical evidence for this, my aim is that we would trust the text of Scripture and we would further rejoice in the saving atonement of Jesus Christ. Not that it's unfair that, that some are saved and some are not. I want everyone to be saved. God does too. That's biblical. But what serves his glory? Those of us who are saved, yes, uh, praise God, but, but there are others. God has called us to, to preach the word in season and out of season and, and to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the story of God. And so my hope is that we wouldn't look at what, how is this fair? We wouldn't ask that question, but we would ask, why in the world would he elect me or anyone else at all? And so my hope is this, this is an encouragement. The meaning of the word foreknowledge, God has foreloved us. Let's rejoice in that and let's be people who proclaim and declare the story of God in the gospel message. Thanks for listening to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Did it, did it.